Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Revelation 5. Listen for what God is saying to you. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. It had writing on the front and the back and was sealed with seven seals. I saw a powerful angel who proclaimed in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. So I began to weep and weep, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. But one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has emerged victorious, so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then, in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain. It had seven horns and seven eyes, which are God's seven spirits, sent out into the whole earth. He came forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Then he took the scroll, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each held a harp and gold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They took up a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain. And by your blood you, you purchased for God persons in every tribe, language, people, and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will rule on earth. Then I looked, and I heard the sound of many angels surrounding the throne. The living creatures and the elders, they numbered in the millions, thousands upon thousands, and they said in a loud voice, Worthy is the slaughtered lamb to receive power, wealth, and might, and honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea, I heard everything everywhere say, Blessing, honor, glory, and power belong to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and always. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. I get sad when I look at the stars. They so pretty you can't tell them apart. You think they close, but really we far. And really they ain't even that much closer to God. It's much harder to sin naked. I walk past apple trees and didn't take it. 
thought about stone mattresses, thin blankets, really long winter spinning a windbreaker. I'm a temptation door knocker, down there on Lower Walkers. I did my worst, I did the work, I had to skip the label. I go to church, they want to flick, I want to flip the table. I knew the worth before the birth when it was just a stable. And now it's just a fable, and it's just as fatal. First world problems, then make up. Have a dream and then never wake up. When so much turns to too much, have a dream and then never wake up. The day is on its way, it couldn't wait no more. Here it comes, here it comes, ready yeah. or not, ready or not. The day is on its way, it couldn't wait no more. Here it comes, here it comes, ready or not, here it comes. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together and to worship you and try to understand a little bit more of who you are and how you are in this world and what the ways that you're calling us to be part of it. Be present in this space, open our hearts and minds, clear away the clutter of our schedules and responsibilities and anxieties so that we could maybe just hear your word a little bit more clearly in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My name is Emily McGinley. I didn't introduce myself. I'm the pastor here at Urban Village um, Hyde Park Woodlawn, and I'm so grateful to worship with you today. The song that we just heard, um, it has a simple structure. It's a new one by Chicago's beloved Chancellor Bennett III. First World Problems is a little less amped and a little more, little, uh, more sober than No Problems, the song where he does battle with record labels. And I've had it on repeat, among, and among many, um, it's this line that keeps coming to my mind. It's much harder to sin naked. It's much harder to sin naked. I walked past apple trees and didn't take it. It's much harder to be cheap with someone else when you're exposed, when you're close to your humanity, which makes you close to the humanity of others. It's not so easy or comfortable to snatch apples when you're thinking about stone mattresses and thin blankets and really long winters spent in windbreakers. I had one of those weird Facebook arguments with a friend from college's mom because this is what happens on Facebook, right? She asked a hard question in response to a comment I made about what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. She said, why should I care about something that's happening on the other side of the continent? After some back and forth, uh, she finally said, well, some people are just trying to get on with their lives. And if it wasn't obvious on the front end, it certainly was on the back end, she had decided to be a little less human. She had decided to curl up in the comfort of her wealth and the geographic removal of her gated community, to not think about troubling things like stone mattresses and thin blankets or violent uses of tinky torches or how polo shirts and khakis signify uniforms of a different kind of militia. And while I'm inclined to judge her, I'm really honest, if I'm really honest with myself, I have to admit that I do understand her. It's hard to keep thinking about the hard things, let's be honest, especially if you don't have to. It's attractive to be a temptation door knocker flirting with escape and removal, to let the recliner on your chair be an emergency break, to sink into an American dream and never wake up. Because while it's emotionally taxing to stay woke, it's even more taxing to stay human while staying woke. I remember back in the day when I thought that guy who took the blue pill in the Matrix was a chump, but, well, I don't know about you, but I'm tired <laughs> and I'm sore. My heart is battered and my imagination is bruised and I'm nowhere near the front lines of all that's happening. One might wonder from time to time, knocking on temptation doors, is it worth it? 
Does it make any difference to stay so close, so open to the pain? Well, our passage today answers these questions without missing a beat. Yes, it's worth it. And yes, it makes a difference. As John continues his fantastic voyage through Revelation, we find him in this throne room where he spots a scroll on which the justice of the nations is outlined. He wants justice now, but there is no one worthy of unleashing it. And John is devastated. Justice is delayed yet again, and John is broken and tired, and out of sheer exhaustion and disappointment, he begins weeping. Isn't there anyone who can help us end this mess? Anyone who is smart enough and strong enough and powerful enough to just step in and end this? And then one of the elders speaks up. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has emerged victorious, and everyone turns, and a sea of people are parting. You can't spot him in the crowd. Everyone is looking up and over, and it's a minute before they realize that it's no lion at all, but a battered, bruised, and skinny little lamb that has been winding its way through people's legs to get to the front. And the Greek phrasing isn't just lamb, but it's like a, a diminuization of the word lamb. In English, it would be something like lambkins. Right. There's no lion or even a fierce dog or an impressive horse. It's not a tricked-out soldier or a savvy business person or a hardcore activist or even an edgy, subversive artist. In this day and age, Christians have heard enough about Jesus being a lamb that it can be difficult, I think, to grasp how ridiculous this image is. Basically, it's beyond disappointing. It's almost laughable. And the lamb is looking rough, right? John describes it as looking as if it had just been slain. The wounds are still fresh. And it has all of these other crazy things, right, that are like totally revelation, right? Seven horns and seven eyes, at which point one begins to wonder if this is really actually a lamb. Uh, but what John means is that by these seven horns and seven eyes is, is perfection, because seven is the number of perfection, Seven horns signify perfect power, and seven eyes signify perfect insight. So if the lambkins is worthy to open the scroll that will unleash judgment, if, and if, as far as lambkins go, this is the measliest, lambkiniest of them all, what is it about this creature that has achieved perfect power and perfect insight? Well, we hear it in the song of praise that everyone begins to sing when uh, the lamb approaches. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And by your purchase, by your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And we can talk about uh, blood purchasing people, but we're not going to do that today. Most Christians have heard some version of this in so many times that it would be easy to miss what's actually going on here. The song is actually a political response. It's a, a direct undermining of the political culture of the times, that might makes right and vulnerability is weakness, that rulers only come from certain tribes and nations and only speak certain languages. But here, everything is inside out. The lamb isn't worthy because it came from any of these approved lines of power. What made it worthy was that, was that it was vulnerable, and it put itself on the line not for itself or even those like itself, but for everyone. It was a revolutionary way to think then, and if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, it's still pretty revolutionary. Certainly in the time of Jesus and the early church, the idea, the concept of people choosing to put their lives, life on the line for others was kind of shocking, but then to put your life on the line for someone who wouldn't benefit you at all, well, that's just straight up foolish, right? 
So we're in this sermon series about what it means to be an anti-racist faith community, and we chose this title, Called Out, Called In, because there's a kind of truth-telling that's required when it comes to being in authentic relationships, especially when the relationships cut across differences. When I think about this lamb and the idea of vulnerability as the pathway to justice, when I reflect on what it means to be slain in this day and age, I, I can't help but think about a video I saw recently by the prophet of vulnerability herself, Brene Brown. A few days after the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, Dr. Brown filmed a Facebook Live video to try and articulate some of the dynamics that were at play in the, the rhetoric and emotions and politics that were swirling around. She talks a lot about the power of owning your story and the courage it takes to face the stories that have shaped us, especially when they don't make us look very good. The power of owning our stories. I talk about if we own our story, we get to write the ending. And if we don't own our story, the story owns us. And I think in The Gifts of Imperfection, I really, that was the first time in my life personally that I've owned my story. That I wrote about, hey, look, I had this complete breakdown at 41. Um, I fell apart. I got, I was so tired and exhausted from trying to outrun vulnerability and outrun perfectionism that I just fell apart and in owning that story and being truthful about it for the first time it changed my life um, up to that point I had tried to orphan that part of my life and said you know and tried to pretend that I wasn't afraid and that I wasn't that I had my shit together all the time so owning that story gave me the right to pick up the pen and write the ending if we think about collectively, if we know it's true in our own lives that the stories we own, we get to write the ending, and the stories that we don't own, own us, we can take that micro lesson and apply it in a macro concept, in a community concept. The stories that we don't own collectively own us. We have to own the story in order to write the different ending. And I know it's painful but it's not as painful as spending our lives running from our story. And our collective story in the United States is a story of white supremacy. That is the story, that's our story. And we have not owned it, so now it, it, still, it owns us, it still owns us. And it defines us, because we have not had the courage to step in and own the story and say, this is the truth about where we come from and what we've done. And it's, I think what's really powerful for me personally is understanding that the pain of owning, the pain and discomfort of owning that story is, is tiny compared to the pain and discomfort of living out that story. For most of us gathered here, a conversation about white supremacy as an abstract concept to be studied out here, like a snow globe, that's not a difficult conversation for most of us to have, I think. It's when we look a little closer into that snow globe and begin to realize that we are figures inside of it when we zoom in on the story of white supremacy in the US and find our story within it, whether it's on an island or whether it's um, in the, the south side of a big city, that's when it gets really uncomfortable. That's when we start to do all the things that we've been taught to do to protect ourselves from the discomfort of having to look too closely and examine ourselves. Things like justification. I'm very good at justification. Uh, things like blame, I'm even better at blaming. 
Um, or deflection, which I'm not as good at, but I keep trying. And we do these things. We blame, we justify, we deflect. We do this because we will do the, just about anything in our power to, have to, avo to, to avoid having to deal with our own stuff, right? Just like uh, Dr. Brown was saying. But here, in our passage today, we see that courage to be vulnerable, courage to allow ourselves to be human, which is to say vulnerable, in a world that is fueled by alienation, personal branding, and intellectual superiority, humanness, vulnerability, is part of what leads us actually to a more perfect power, the kind of power demonstrated by a battered and bruised lamb. Not power over, as we talked about in our confession, but power with. And perfect insight, insight granted when you have experienced pain and faced death, not insight to exploit, but insight to dispatch God's restorative spirit throughout the world. But in order to access this kind of power and insight, we have to open ourselves to the same kind of vulnerability as the lamb. We have to claim our humanness our, and practice a, a courageous vulnerability in the face of everything that would try to take it away or take advantage of it and exploit it. And when we do this, it's then that we can understand the way it empowers us to be agents of restoration and justice in the world. Because here's the thing, vulnerability keeps us honest. It's much harder to sin naked. And so, well, in a couple of weeks and a couple of weeks after that, we'll be getting naked at UVC, so to speak. Uh, most of you know, uh, leaders from across UVC have been working diligently to conduct an audit to assess whether and how we've been living into our commitment to anti-racist practices. And with the help of our partners at Crossroads Anti-Racism, the process has been challenging, but it's also been enlightening. And in spite of all the work that has been revealed that we have yet to do, it's also been really hopeful. We have examined and assessed ourselves with as much honesty as we could, and in a couple of weeks on the 22nd, we'll be having a really important post-worship conversation to learn about the findings and hear the recommendations. And learning those findings, hearing the recommendations, this is how we begin to, as a community, to face our collective story. But facing our story is, not, is just the beginning, because we also have to write a new story together. And we begin to do this by creating the conditions for courage. On November 12th, we'll have conversations in racial caucuses after worship to be able to process the audit with the guidance of trained facilitators from Crossroads. Now, folks sometimes feel a certain kind of way that when they first hear about racial caucusing, dividing up into two groups of, as people of color and, and white people, sometimes that gets interpreted as divisive or harmful. And mixed folk like myself are challenged or frustrated by having to choose yet again. But this is one way for us to try and create the conditions of courage, to create brave spaces so we can be called out and called in, to see ourselves more clearly and practice courage in conversation. These kinds of conversations, if we honestly engage them, they can help us have a clearer view of ourselves and the things that are at work within us that diminish our humanity, that keep us in that cycle of justifying, blaming, and deflecting. In these spaces, we begin to practice things like courage and vulnerability, the things that gave the lamb perfect power and perfect insight. 
This work is bigger than any one of us, but it requires each one of us. And so as we lean into courage and vulnerability, as we embrace our humanness and get close to the pain of our stories and our world, let's not lose sight of the fact that we are doing something tremendously dangerous to undo a world that banks on our fear. And let's remember that we are in good company, even if that company is a battered and bruised lambkins who's about to open a scroll. The day is on its way, it couldn't wait no more. Here it comes, ready or not. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you show us what perfect power and perfect insight looks like. We give you thanks that we, are, we don't have to be afraid of our vulnerability. We give you thanks that part of our design is to be human with one another and with ourselves. And so help us, God, to be people of courage, to live into, to embrace, to claim, and fully own our humanity and vulnerability, and to be strong enough to be weak. Help us as a community, as a faith community, to do this work, to lean in, to love each other enough to be called out and called in over and again, bound together by your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.